put on a little dance, yeah. sitting on our fence. And he would walk 100 <laughs> miles in. We get one. it. You don't have instruments. Yeah. Uh, was the controller. <laughs> hey, welcome, friends, to the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 in under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and some little-known facts about every American president. I'm your host, Ryan Allward, joined by... Blaine Zimmerman. And our producer and vice presidential expert... Russ Slivka. Gentlemen, how are we tonight? Fantastic. Yeah? Russ? Great. Hmm. I have to admit, my energy is a little low going into this episode. (laughs) Why? Well, Blaine, uh, we have entered that desert uh, of presidents from Jackson to Lincoln. Deseret, if you will. Deseret, I will. Which will come up today. And I don't remember why, but I'm Mm. I'm leaning on you to tell That's what I'm here for. (laughs) Uh, This is episode 13. We've made it 13 episodes. Lucky number 13. 13. Do you know what the fear of the number 13 is called? Irrational. True. <laughs> I believe I'm, I'm pronouncing this right. Triskaidekaphobia. <laughs> no, uh-huh. that's a fear, fear of Triscuits. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare talk badly about those beautiful woven I'm not crackers. saying that's the name of fear uh, of Triscuits. The fear of 13. Uh, I think it's called the trick. Yeah, it has something to do with the Last Supper, right? Is that it's, what it is? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, Triskaidekaphobia. Yeah, the fear of 13. Yeah, it's because there were 13 people at the last... Jesus plus 12. That's 13, yeah. That'd be 13. Uh, And Judas was number 13, right? Yeah, well, clearly. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what order they came in on. (laughs) Yeah. so this has quickly gotten off the yes, rails. And we're getting it back on. Here we yeah. go. So Blaine, Number besides... 13. Man, we've made it. Besides choosing the books that we are reading for the podcast, you also named the episodes. And you told me before we started recording, you're like, I've got a good one tonight. But you changed it today. Mm-hmm. So tell us what it is. And then I also want to know what option one was. Uh, this episode's called The Baldwin. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, I... Had a few different ideas. Okay. The Buffalonian mm. was one of them. Doesn't really roll off the tongue, yeah, though. The Baldwin just fits. It's great. Um, why, why do you call it the Baldwin? In case people don't know why. If you have a moment, just Google image search Millard Fillmore <laughs> and tell me he doesn't look exactly like Alec Baldwin. He does. It's weird. It's uncanny. Yeah. He's got a 21st century doppelganger. Who might have been on 30 Rock. So he's like the fourth Baldwin brother, the fifth? Uh, 18th, I think. Okay, yes. 18th, 13th you, Baldwin brother. You picked the books, and for this episode, on our journey through the presidents, what were we reading about Millard Fillmore, president number 13? Millard Fillmore, Biography of a President, mm. by Robert J. Rayback. It was written in 1959. Oof. Maybe that's why it felt like just eating sandpaper as I was reading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> in my quarantine during COVID. He was re- writing it during commercial breaks of Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. It's on his typewriter. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, it was 358 pages long. Mm-hmm. Any guess to our running page tally now? 13 presidents in, Blaine? I feel like we're over 7,000. We're getting close to 6,000. Oh, okay. 5,915 pages. Oh, we're very close. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll hit that with 
the beautiful Franklin Pierce. That's right. We also drink a cocktail while we are recording every single episode that coincides somehow in honor of the president that we're covering. And tonight, Russ got, thank you, Russ, by the way, some fantastic Buffalo Trace bourbon whiskey. Mm-hmm. Nothing says honor the 13th president from Buffalo, New York, better than drinking Kentucky Buffalo Trace. bourbon. Yeah, from Kentucky. <laughs> so it is delicious. I've had, uh, this is one of the few drinks that I have had that's been part of the fun for me has been sampling new spirits. I wanted to do beer for this episode, and Russ did some research on Buffalo beers, and you found the number one beer in Buffalo, the most popular beer is Labatt Blue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love Labatt Blue. It's good. The it's Canadian. Canadian. It's Canadian. Yeah. Yeah, it's so tasty. That's the number one? I would have assumed it was Bud Light. It's not. And it's followed fairly closely by Coors or Coors Light. Okay. <laughs> Coors Original is tasty. I don't know. The if Banquet. Yeah. That's yeah. right. They do call it the Banquet. <laughs> they yeah, sure do. It's good. Yeah. So let's uh, dive in. What do you guys remember about Millard Fillmore from <laughs> social studies, civics, government class in high school? Just that he was the most random, like, named yeah. president. Like, he had a random name. And whenever, like, things came up, it, it, he just was, like, the go-to random yeah. guy. Yeah, kind of the, the joke. Yeah. Just because like, his name is... Nobody knows anything about him. Yeah. He's got this weird name, shares it with a duck. Um, <laughs> Mallard Fillmore. Yeah. Which was a comic strip in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Did Ack. you not know that? Yeah. Well, that speaking right? of yeah. 90s comic strips, we Mallard? have the world's foremost Kathy fan. <laughs> Uh, and Russ, Russ, you are a huge fan of yeah, Kathy. Huge Kathy Stan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huge Kathy Stan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, when we were coming up with this concept and I was sharing it with some friends who are fellow history buffs, they're like, what are you going to do for Millard Fillmore? Yeah, like it, as much as we can. Yeah, he was always the one that would be like the most random. I wanted this to be chock full of just tons of random like facts and yeah. things like that. And it turns out he was just a very milk toast career politician that we're going to do our best to make interesting. Listen, if you are writing your thesis paper on Millard Fillmore and you're using the Presidential Podcast as research, yeah, well, we're sorry. Yeah. Uh, and also, cheers to you. Gentlemen, yeah. cheers to Millard Fillmore, 13th Let's president of the United States. Dive in. Uh huh. All right, eight pounds, six ounce, little baby Millard Fillmore (laughs) was born on January 7th, 1800, just ushering in a new century in a log cabin in the Finger Lakes region of New York. All the way from the Finger Lakes. Finger Lakes. He was really good. His dad was friends with uh, Lawrence Welk's dad. (laughs) The tiny little bubbles. (laughs) Fillmore's relatively poor parents were Nathaniel Fillmore, a farmer, and Phoebe Millard Fillmore. Farmer's a stretch. <laughs> he he bought this this farm yeah. site unseen, and turns out it was all clay. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, not Henry. No. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this land is unsuccessfully running for president. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was unsuccessfully being farmed. There it is. It's, 
over so, and over and over. He wanted to be a farmer, but couldn't farm the land. So he was a failure of mm-hmm. a farmer. Mm-hmm. Millard was the second of eight children and the oldest son. He spent much of his youth in severe poverty, clearing land and raising crops as best as he could on the 130-acre farm that his father leased. At age 14, he was apprenticed to a wool carter named Benjamin Hungerford. And a wool carter was a new term that I, I had no idea what that was. A wool carter. I'm assuming it's someone who, like, carts wool around. They work with cloth. It's a carder with a D, not a T. I thought it could have mm-hmm. been, yeah, like a cart, like a wheelbarrow of just yeah, like, cloth. Bring out your wool. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. <laughs> not wool yet. <laughs> anyway, Benjamin Hungerford hmm. almost killed little 14-year-old Miller Fillmore, when his father signed him up for this arrangement, Benjamin saw it as indentured servitude and basically worked Millard to the bone. Mm. And Millard left. He walked 100 miles home. And his time making cloth as a teenager gave him the super bland nickname as a president, the Wool Carter President. Yeah. <laughs> so lame. And he would walk 100 miles, miles and... <laughs> Don't sing anymore. We'll have to pay a royalty. All the way home. Blaine, that's a fantastic rendition (laughs) of 500 Miles by the Pretenders. All this time, Millard was educating himself as much as he could until he enrolled at the New Hope Academy in 1819. As a young man, Fillmore fell in love there with his schoolmistress, Abigail Powers, who was an accomplished scholar and musician two years older than he was, and he would court Abigail for seven years until their marriage in 1823. Together they had two children, Millard Powers and Mary Abigail. Who went by Powers, which is dope. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Like, what's up, I'm Powers Fillmore. Call me Powers. Yeah. It's, that, that's kind of bold. It's a sweet name. When your dad's the president and like everybody knows, like, oh, Millard Fillmore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that name. Super random, right? Call me Powers. Yeah. It's fun. He taught school as a way to support himself as he studied law in Buffalo, New York from 1819 to 23 and was admitted to the bar in 1823 and practiced law in East Aurora, New York until 1830. You want to know what Fillmore looked like? How he was described? Uh, Alec Baldwin. (laughs) I know what he looked like. He's on the cover of the book. (laughs) If you don't know who Alec Baldwin is, just... Find out. Uh, <laughs> he looks a lot like Millard Fillmore. He does. Oh, that's yeah. so circular. He stood about five foot nine, had a well developed chest, a deep voice, and blue eyes. He was noted for his handsome features and defi- <laughs> dignified bearing. <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, yeah. So he looked like Alec Baldwin, though, a lot. He had a nightmare of a haircut. Oh, gosh, it was horrible. <laughs> the, on the front of this book, it looks like he had been wearing his hat just for a year. just took his hat off, yeah. <laughs> Sir, do you want to do you want to do, do you want some pomade? Something? No. 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 no, no. Just take the picture. Just take the picture. <laughs> Let's talk about his political rise. Fillmore became active in politics soon after becoming a lawyer, and he served in the New York State Assembly for two years as a member of the Anti-Mason Party from let's, 1829 to 31. Yeah, let's unpack that for okay, a second. Okay, so... so the anti-Masons mm-hmm. was an entire political party based on being against Freemasons. And this came about because of this fella named Morgan was his first name. William Morgan. William, William Morgan. William Morgan Freeman. Um, <laughs> Freemason. And uh, Morgan, Morgan had claimed that he <laughs> was 
was going to publish a book that was going to uh, divulge all of the secrets of the Freemasons. Mm -hmm. And it turns out they weren't the, the appropriate people to cross as they kidnapped him out of jail. Well, they got him arrested yeah. originally, kidnapped him out of jail, and then murdered him. He disappeared. Yeah. His family wondered where and he was. And shockingly, uh, none of the people that murdered him were caught or tried or convicted. And so the anti-Mason movement came about. Like At, at this point, people were like, well, I mean... Clearly, if their secrets are that important, yes. they must be up to something nefarious. Yeah, and I wonder why this guy wanted to come up with this book. I mean, was he just trying to make a buck? William Morgan Freeman? Yeah, a lot of people were Masons going back to George Washington. Yeah. So the secrets of the Masons probably would have been a bestseller. Secret. I mean, it would have been the, the Da Vinci Code of its time. Hmm. Would have been the Shawshank Redemption <laughs> of the 1830s. Okay. <laughs> That's when I met Andy Dufresne. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, so uh, Millard Fillmore uh, is elected to Congress in 1832 as a Whig following his mentor, Thurlow Weed. There's yeah. a fun name for you. And he served for 11 years until 1843 in Congress. During this time, Fillmore was recognized as an outstanding leader of the Whig Party's Northern Convention and a devoted follower of Henry Clay. Yeah, because he... Essentially got all the anti-Masons to just convert to the Whig party. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's how it happened. We're deep in American history right now. Like, if yeah. you don't even know who the Whigs are, yeah. just go well, check it out. Because Buffalo was very anti-Mason, and he realized that it didn't have a lot of legs, so we should just convert it to this other thing. Yeah. So they became Whigs. New York was also pretty powerful politically, especially with Thurlow Weed Correct. pushing things. Very so, corrupt. Really corrupt. A lot of corrupt New York politicians mm -hmm. in our history. Going back to George Clinton and the P-Funk Railroad. And Aaron Burr. Was Aaron Burr from New York? Was he a New Yorkman? He was. Yeah. 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 Losing the New York gubernatorial, which is just a fun word. He, he tried to run for governor. What a goober. Gubernatorial <laughs> election in 1844. Fillmore was easily elected the first state controller. Looks like comptroller. Comptroller. Is that how you pronounce it? Or is it uh, the controller? It, he wanted to be the comptroller. Comptroller. Although, no, he was a, nominated as the comptroller. He didn't want to be the comptroller. He wanted to be the vice chancellor. <laughs> that which sounds is, like a role that he made up. It 100% yeah. does. It's <laughs> like it's, he, it's a character from Star Wars with like a weird hat. Horns. Like, I'm vice chancellor Palpatroy. <laughs> You're thinking Palpatine. Yeah. There it is. Uh, was he a vice chancellor? No, he was just a he was a chancellor. He started as a senator, as I believe, in the <laughs> empire, and then he became um, the uh, yeah emperor. Emperor, emperor was, Palpatine. But there are chancellors there. Were there any vice chancellors? Maybe an archduke or uh, <laughs> be a, a be bishop, an awesome duke, a bishop. Duke of Earl. Oh, gosh. Let's get this back on the Buffalo train. So, yeah, he's essentially the chief accountant or financial officer of yeah. the state of New York, which I think New York helps that sound a lot cooler than it was. I mean, if you were the comptroller of Delaware, it'd be... But New York, it's a big deal back then. Yeah, Still sure. Is. Yeah. yeah. New York, uh, was the controller. <laughs> Sounds like comptroller. <laughs> 
<laughs> when he was a congressman, he actually like rallied against the idea of having to give an oath to God. Yeah, I remember reading that in this super boring book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he, like, he, well, there's right. a thing. He's like, I don't want to do the oath to God. Yeah. Was that like, a was that him... a church and state thing? I think it was, yeah. yeah okay. Right. At the National Whig Convention in 1848, old rough and ready General Zachary Taylor, hero of the Mexican War, was nominated for president and Fillmore for vice president, largely through the sponsorship of Henry Clay. Well, he like really just did everything in his life to just be political. Like mm-hmm. he was thick in the weeds of partisan is partisanship partisanship yeah Part- partisanships the hms yeah. partisan yeah the uss partisan mm-hmm. <laughs> he was he was thick it's in the weeds partisanship. yeah it was partisanships uh it's like really in the weeds on that really in the weeds on legislature like it was boring he was boring <laughs> he spent his whole career trying to be boring i wonder what that was like when he would come home from work and Abigail would be like, ah, oh, here comes this guy, just yeah. Millard Fillmore. Is this the best that I could do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, honey, how you doing? How was work as comptroller? Yeah, like, Powers had three touchdown passes today. <laughs> like, I mean, it was an okay day. I, yeah. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good, though, you know. Yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> I, I brought up uh, not having to do an oath to God. Uh, oh. We, you know, I'm the comptroller. There was... Uh, yeah. It's a lot of ledger entries. Yeah. I'm just today. glad you're not dead from your apprenticeship under what was his name? <laughs> Hard Scrabble. Benjamin Hungerford. Yeah. Okay, so he, you know, at this point. He did establish New York's first public school system, though. So that's a thing. That's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, think of how many kids have gone through school in New York now. A lot. A lot. A lot. If yeah. you've been to a public school or through a public school in New York State, you've got Millard Fillmore to think. To blame. To blame. <laughs> <laughs> so as, you know, getting nominated for vice president uh, to Millard Fillmore, a, a career politician, this is really a position of prestige for him. And the word was on the street that it was going to be one of influence too. General Taylor, conscious of the great burdens that lay ahead of him, had sighed, quote, how do you want this voice to be? Like a grizzled Mexican war veteran? It needs to be, yeah. I wish Mr. Fillmore would take all of the business (laughs) into his own hands. Didn't know that Zachary Taylor was also Batman. (laughs) With emphysema. (laughs) Sorry if you've got emphysema, by the way. Um, Did Zach Taylor... (laughs) Did Zachary Taylor's parents die as a child? Did they die as children? Did, First they of all, how did they he was procreate a child? as children? Did, did they die when he was a child? Like Zachary, after the movies? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think he fell down a well. Uh, Michael Caine adopted him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, General Taylor says uh, that he wants Fillmore to do everything, essentially. Which is probably the right guy. Yeah. I mean, he did know his way around. Yeah. You know, legislator. He Taylor also didn't really know much what was going on politically. He thought the vice president was a member of his cabinet. Yeah, sure did. <laughs> he was like, oh, Fillmore will be around every yeah, single day, won't fine. he? Just run everything through it's him. Fine. It's fine. I'm going to go eat some cherries and die. 
July 4th, 1850 was a very hot day in Washington, D.C., and President Taylor, who attended the 4th of July ceremonies to lay the cornerstone of the Washington Monument, big obelisk there downtown D.C., uh, refreshed himself with some cold milk and cherries. What he consumed likely gave him gastroenteritis, or Montezuma's revenge. He had horrible (laughs) diarrhea for several days before expiring. Gosh, I'm sure he was glad at that point to just die. On July 9th, shocking the nation, and suddenly, Millard Fillmore uh, realizes... Oh, wait, I'm next in line. Fillmore had been called from his chair presiding over the Senate on July 8th and had sat with members of the cabinet in a vigil outside President Taylor's bedroom at the White House. He received the formal notification of the president's death signed by the cabinet on the evening of July 9th in his residence at the Willard Hotel. Millard at the Willard. Oh, yeah. oh man. I wonder if that's why he picked it. It was on the marquee. <laughs> Millard at the Willard. Dude, like, let's see, the best Western. Hmm. Conrad. That's a little fancy. Or the Willard. Well, it rhymes with my first name. Millard of the Willard. Bam. Why Take was that, Tippica New and Tyler too. I got a better one. Why was the best Western the first option? Uh, because like General you Taylor went fought in from the West. a one-star hotel immediately to a four-star hotel. Well, he just liked to see his options. Okay. I, I found like, this rated on Zagat. I mean... <laughs> I mean, the pros are I I can access my room directly from the parking lot. Yeah. The cons are <laughs> all a... of the meth <laughs> happening everywhere. There is a pool. There's just no water in it. And... <laughs> I guess a... I'll go to the Willard. The Willard. After acknowledging the letter and spending a sleepless night of anxiety, Filmer went to the House of Representatives, where at a joint session of Congress, he took the oath as president from William Cranch, who had also sworn in President Tyler. It's kind of cool. Uh, this guy swears in two two VPs that are both like, oh, crap, is it my turn now? <laughs> two, two relatively forgettable people. <laughs> oh, gosh, another accident. I swore in two presidents. Like, it was Tyler and Fillmore. Yeah, like, yeah. Relax. So the cabinet officers from Taylor's cabinet, as was customary when a new president took over, submitted their resignations expecting Fillmore to refuse those and allow them to continue serving. And he was like, look, guys, give me a month. And they were like, you've got a week. Yeah. We're out of here. Seriously. Yeah. Fillmore is the only president who succeeded by death or resignation not to retain, at least initially, his predecessor's cabinet. Yeah. They were like, see ya. I mean, you've got this like super cool war veteran. Mm -hmm. And then your new boss is the nerd is is Brian from accounting <laughs> like like actually I'm out of here yeah i'm going to like, roll man figure it out you got a week your hair looks horrible yeah what's your name put your hat back on where are you staying <laughs> oh you're at the willard millard at the willard huh that's that's fun <laughs> so most presidents have had you know up to that point, four months before taking office to form their policies he had one night and so no president had ever taken office in the face of such impending disaster. None. Do you agree with that? Up to that point, no president had ever... Impending disaster? Don't I don't know. I don't agree You don't think so? That. Who would no. you say did? Uh, I mean, Harrison died after 30 days. That seems like way... I mean, he didn't have... I don't know. Sure, I agree. I don't know. 
It's like if we're disagreeing on, you know, William Henry Harrison and Millard Fillmore, it's like, let's find something better to disagree <laughs> That's on. That's true. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> hey, on that light note of President Taylor dying, uh, we're going to refresh our beverages and let you hear from one of our fantastic sponsors before we dive into Millard Fillmore's presidency. You're listening to episode 13, The Baldwin of the Presequential Podcast. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. This is Blaine. Veteran suicide is a huge issue within the veteran community. Through different experiences, too many of our brothers and sisters have gone down this road, and the team at Vets Lives Matter is working to combat this issue. Vets Lives Matter is a cohort of veteran and civilians working on a mission to enhance veterans' lives. By teaming up with local veteran nonprofits across the country through a combination of physical challenges and fundraising efforts, we will end veteran suicide. Be sure to follow on all social media platforms at Vets Lives Matter to learn how to donate and participate in challenges in your community. Together, we will beat this. Welcome back, friends. You are listening to episode 13 of the Presequential Podcast on Millard Fillmore. Now, General Taylor has just died. Fillmore now assumes the presidency of the country. And the Constitution at this point didn't really say what should be done when there's a vacancy in the vice president, because the vice president's chair was left empty at this point. So therefore, the office remained vacant for the period Fillmore was president of the country. Blaine, I feel like normally we have someone come and talk about the vice presidency. Yeah, I mean, he's he's still here. Oh, is that him? Yeah. Uh, and so, Russ... Did Millard Fillmore have a vice president? No. Thank wow. you, Russ. Wow. Thank you, Russ. Uh, Thanks, everyone, everyone. That was Russ. That was Russ. And we're back. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, did he have anybody like fill in? Like, well, how did that work? So he did have uh, Daniel Webster brought on as his secretary of state. Okay. Daniel Webster was a fellow Whig as well. Mm. He had actually. <laughs> Hold on. I just realized the irony of you talking about wigs. <laughs> you don't irony. Have any, you don't have any hair. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hilarious. You just got a beard. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Back to you. Sorry. Back sure. to the boar. So, <laughs> back to Daniel Webster. Uh, Daniel Webster was yep. also a follower of Henry Clay. Mm. Yeah. And real loser. Real loser. William Henry Harrison, yes, as well as Zachary Taylor, had wanted to bring him on as vice president. He didn't want to. He didn't want to take the second highest position. He didn't want to be um, baby in a corner. Yeah. Right? Uh, he wanted some sort of power. So he refused the vice presidency because he wanted the presidency, although both presidents that he was going to be vice president underneath died pretty quickly. Yeah, so he so, would have been president. Yeah, he had two way. chances to be president. Wow. Wow. That's irony. Yeah. 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 So Webster was known for being a great orator. Yes. Speaker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talker. Oh, Talker. Yeah. Made the dictionary. Mm, I don't know Is, if he did. Are we not was talking it? about Merriam? No. Yeah. No. No, no, it's okay. another Webster. I think that was a uh, Nathaniel Webster. Oh, was okay. Webster on Webster, the small Emmanuel uh, Lewis. Emmanuel, Emmanuel Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. He looked yeah. like a child, but he was actually a grown man. Yeah, he yeah. was seventy years old when they filmed that. <laughs> so he was a follower of of Henry Clay, as as well as Fillmore was, and the Compromise of eighteen fifty. Yes, 
was uh, sectional healing. <laughs> <laughs> it's still funny. It is. Two weeks later. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, the Compromise of 1850 yeah. uh, had five or six different kind of packages involved in it. Texas, California. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are welcome to dive in. We'll, here. we'll dive New Mexico. In. Yeah. And Deseret. And we'll we'll dive into them. I've sure. got them more yeah, yeah. more detailed notes. Okay, yeah. so Brian wanted to talk more about Deseret, so yeah. and it was in there. Yeah. So his speech was called the Seventh of March speech. Wow. And they say that was the one that really pushed the Compromise of eighteen fifty forward. Yep. It was a three and a half hour speech, which mm. was gosh, yeah, enthralling. Well, yeah. For Daniel it's, Webster, that was brief. I feel like. <laughs> We, that could have been a better Ides of March. Like somebody starts giving a three-hour speech, like all the congressmen should have just stabbed him. Yeah. <laughs> just stop talking. Yeah, I mean, he had been known to give after-dinner speeches that were five and a half hours long. No. Gosh, That's, no. dude. Really, Not that dude? I attend. Yeah. Like someone needs to just get in his ear and be like, bro, listen. After two bourbons, you get really loquacious. Mm-hmm. And he's like, let me go to my dictionary, find out lo- what loquacious means. It means very talkative. This dude just could talk. He was around, I mean, back in like Andrew Jackson's day too, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. He, yeah. Was, he was a major player in the Whig Party for quite some time. Okay. Mm. Which is really not saying much, but okay. <laughs> it's not. He'd actually split off into he was the, a large wig. the cotton wigs. Extension. Even. Oh, the cotton wigs. Wigs. The cotton wigs, who were a little more um, filled out. <laughs> the touch, the feel, the yeah. fabric of the 1840s. They were more into compromising with the South, okay. which was how he became kind of the yeah the huh. the lead behind which the compromise. Which we're about to find out Fillmore was as well. Yeah. yeah. Russ, anything else on non-existent vice president for Millard Fillmore? Yeah. Uh, Yes. Okay. Ooh. Oh, there's yeah, but, but wait. there's more. <laughs> well, he was the after the cabinet um, from Zachary Taylor had mm-hmm. left. He wept, He brought on Webster as the Secretary of State, and Webster basically decided who was going to be in the rest of the cabinet. Mm. He laid that responsibility. He handpicked those guys. Correct. Okay. Oh. Yeah, that's cool. So without Webster, Fillmore's presidency would have been a different story. Correct. Yeah. Even more milk toast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Russ. Um, thank you for putting up with us, mentioning to the listeners that you're very bald. I love it. I love you too. Uh, to Russ, you know we don't. We've never done this before, but but Russ, oh, here's to you. To, yeah. to- so Fillmore was trying to. <laughs> come up with ways to avoid secession because yeah, so, even at this point right. like it was a thing and and it was always going to be south carolina he knew it was going to be south carolina south Car- i texted you earlier this week i'm like why is south carolina always got to be south carolina like yeah. even back in the 1780s i mean they're, they're just being yeah just and i think <sighs> that my response was their greatest export is darius rucker <laughs> Put on a little dance, yeah. sitting on our fans. Oh, man. Uh, well, do, let's let's dive so, in a little bit to the Compromise of 1850. Yeah. Once you, yeah. Okay. So, Civil War is brewing. Fillmore is trying to preserve the Union as best as possible from sectional differences. 
And Daniel Webster proposes the Compromise of 1850. So that accomplished five major things under Fillmore's presidency. This is really probably the most lasting, not to jump too far ahead into the legacy section, mm-hmm. but as far as Fillmore's presidency is concerned, this is really the milestone. Oh, I've got lots for legacy on him. Oh, I can't yeah, so. wait, Blaine. Mm-hmm. Just hold your horses. Number one. It banned slavery in the new state of California. Mm-hmm. Number two, it paid Texas for giving up claims to her Western lands. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, it established Utah and New Mexico as territories that could decide for themselves to allow or ban slavery. Which is where Deseret comes yeah. in. So the Mormons wanted to create their own state called Deseret and effectively the federal government saw it as a legalized form of bigamy so did not allow it mm-hmm. am i saying that is bigamy the right word correct okay. yeah so uh, two, two wives so that was the uh i mean it could have been three or four deseret expanded i mean it, it covered a ton of ground yeah i mean south... so instead we got utah yep. um which effectively was the same thing almost all of nevada most of utah <laughs> if not all of utah and then uh, northern Arizona, even some of New Mexico and Colorado, and even southwestern Wyoming, and some of Oregon. I mean, it covered a ton. And in a little tiny corner of Idaho. Hmm. So this this state of Deseret would have been massive. Mm-hmm. Fourthly, the Compromise of 1850 abolished the slave trade in, in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And lastly, number five, it also strengthened laws on the return of freedom seekers. So specifically, the Fugitive Slave Act... This is, I mean, this is a crazy piece of legislation looking back, but it required the government to help return freed slaves to their former masters. And there could be punishment if you were an abolitionist or you were um, anti-slavery. You were essentially required by this law, the Fugitive Slave Act, to help return freed slaves back to their former masters, which I can only imagine presented a ethical, moral, cultural quandary for people who were anti-enslavement back in that time. I mean, you've got a law passed now that says, well, yesterday we didn't have to, but today if a freed slave comes onto our property, we have to we have to return him or her, which, yeah, we're not looking back through the 21st century lens and judging that era, but man, that I can only imagine what that must have been like. Do you have anything on the Fugitive Slave Act, Blaine? No, but I had something in about, in my notes, it just says the omnibus and then eerie music, huh. which I feel like would have been a great way to produce it. <laughs> But I can't find anything about the omnibus. But just know it was a thing that was the a part of the bill. Yeah, yeah, co- meaning covering the many, omnibus. Many. Get on the omnibus. <laughs> Fillmore was convinced that the only remedy to the growing conflicts over slavery was the long proposed recolonization of. Wow, that was a big <laughs> so... anticipatory breath. Uh, of black people into Africa or the Monrovia. West Indies. Monrovia. Yeah, mm-hmm. all the way back to number five, James Monroe. Congress, he thought, couldn't abolish slavery, but it could encourage the southern states to free their slaves by offering to remove the free blacks to other areas. This goes all the way back to, I think, Madison, maybe even Jefferson. Just, it's just such a ridiculous idea to to take people that were born here and go, 
well, no, like, we'll fix this. Yeah. We'll just take you back to your home. And they're like, um, this is my home. Yeah. Like, I just don't want to be owned. I want to live here. Right. Like, I was born here. I want to raise my children here. Like, why would I have to leave? Mm-hmm. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, it really is. And sad and horrible. And yes. Northern abolitionists in Fillmore's Whig Party did not look favorably upon this or his refusal to back an invasion of the island of Cuba to expand slavery, and he was not nominated for a second term in 1852. I, I do think that that was partially him, though. I think that he had said that he wasn't going to seek renomination. Hmm. And it, that could be revisionist history, the author changing it to make it you know, a little bit more favorable in his light. Yeah. And we will get to things he did good. Let, let me just say right. that. We're not just going to poo-poo on the guy. We're getting um, there. But I, I do I do think that there was something, and I don't remember exactly what it was, that he decided to not run again. Like he didn't, he didn't feel proper or something like that, which he ended up running again later. Oh, later. Yeah. Yeah, 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 which we're going to get to. Fillmore was an early champion of American commercial expansion into the Pacific, and in 1853, he sent a fleet of American warships under the command of Commodore Matthew Perry, not Chandler from Friends. Oh. (laughs) As we scream, Matthew Perry! They went to Japan to force its government to enter into trade relations with the United States. The resulting Treaty of Kanagawa. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. How is it spelled? K a n a g a w a. Kanagawa. It's probably kind Well, yeah, because there's a t- there's a town up there named Canadagua, so it's probably Kanada. Up Kana- where? Uh, well, in northern New York. Why would you know that? Because <laughs> I used to live there. Oh, okay. <laughs> you just said up there, like we're there with. Sorry. You. Well, he's from Buffalo. Sorry. Okay. Let me explain where my brain just went. Yeah. He's from Buffalo, northern New York. There's a town outside of Buffalo now named Canadagua. So okay. if that doesn't have the D, I would assume it's Kananagua instead of. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's, that was unnecessary. Maybe it's Kanagawa. It, yeah, actually, that probably makes Kanagawa. more sense. Kanagawa. Yeah. Kanagawa. 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 Yeah. There's a town of Tonawanda, and everybody that lives there says, Town Tonawanda. <laughs> Boy, that's a really niche joke there, Blaine. <laughs> it, is, it is. It is. <laughs> anyway, this treaty happens in 1854, and it led to similar agreements between Japan and other Western powers, and it really marked the beginning of Japan's transformation into a modern state. So that's... As we're looking at these presidents, it's always interesting to see what's happening in in the world around them at the same time. So that's kind of cool. Japan is kind of coming into its own there. Uh, he served only two years and 238 days. Didn't even make it to three years as president. From July 9th, 1850, succeeding Taylor to March 4th, 1853. And he was succeeded by 14th president Franklin Pierce of New Hampshire. Blaine, do you have anything else about Millard Fillmore's presidency? It's a, kind of a short one. Well, a couple of things. So he was successful in staving off secession. Like he understood that it was coming. And I, I, I mean, I'd like to, well, I think that he basically said, I'd rather this be on someone else and not me. Yeah. Which we're about to see. The next two people did the same thing, but yeah. way more egregiously. So he knew it was going to be South Carolina. Like that was kind of always... Like the idea yep. that, that they would be the first one. So he sent federal troops 
uh, to Charleston to okay. prevent that from happening. And really what helped him was cotton at the time still had a really high price. So the South was prospering. And because of that, he was able to essentially, you know, put in the media and boost, hey, you guys are doing great. Why would you leave? Like, mm. and th- you're doing great because of the things we at the federal government are doing, right? And so he kind of kept them happy. On the fun side of things, uh, <laughs> towards the end of his presidency, he was given what I could only describe as the Cadillac of horse coaches. Oh my gosh, this thing was tricked out. <laughs> it, was, it really was. Let me just read what it says in Please. the book. And and this is somewhat lengthy. This is a gift. This is a coach. Yes. From, do you remember who it was from? I don't. Okay. I don't remember. It was who gifted gave it to, him. to him, though. Uh, I mean, it, this was at a time that like baseball is becoming popular, mm-hmm. uh, yacht racing, uh, rowing is considered like high class yeah. right i mean i mean how it still is so let's yes, see please describe this coach it's a clarence coach okay and it is made of the richest materials finished in a style that reflects credit on the artisans employed to do the work the body and running gear are painted dark and visible green and the door panels are relieved by a very artistical painting representing the coat of arms of New York wow. with the motto Excelsior, nicely defined in a scroll. On each side of the driver's box is a silver lamp, very ornamental and chaste. A spread eagle of solid silver <laughs> surmounts each of the reflectors, and the painted glass, ground and polished, mm-hmm. is fitted in a diamond shape mm-hmm. and thus presents a neat and rich appearance. The whole interior will excite universal admiration. Oh my. The seats, the sides, front and back are covered with a rich blue watered silk through which a vine of sprigs of white run that in a glare of light resembles burnished silver. They are stuffed with curled hair of the finest quality in rules and diamonds that make the easiest and most comfortable lounge that has ever been invented. The lace of the carriage is of the same material with large blue and silver bullions attached to the holsters. The top is covered with the same rich material, which forms a pleasing contrast with the rich turkey carpet on the bottom of the carriage. (laughs) To each of the ten windows is attached a spring curtain of beautiful blue silk finished with rich festoons and tassels. The handles and rollers are made of pearl and silver. The cost is $1,500. It sounds like something... Who was the um, the director that did the French champagne commercials? Orson, Orson Welles. Welles. It sounds like something Orson... Ah, the French champagne. Festooned. Uh, Mr. Daniel Webster, thank you for that. I really appreciate that uh, description. Uh, no, I believe... I, I, I was channeling my Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, my gosh. Like, I was, I was getting into character there. Um, <laughs> Russ wrote down on his Mead five-star notebook. Do you want to share what you wrote down? Rob Roddy, Price is Right. <laughs> One dollar, Bob. 
Thank yeah, you for I describing felt, the world. I mean, worlds. I felt like a used car salesman. Well, that's the first Cadillac. That how it, that's how it yeah. came to be. So sure Millard Fillmore, I mean, gosh, for being pretty <laughs> boring, bland, and milk toast, you got that out of it. <laughs> driving down Pennsylvania Avenue, you in think, a what kind of t- wheels do you think he had? Twenties, right. probably had some twenties, maybe yeah. some twenty-two. Maybe he had exhibit low. come by and trick low. his mind. Low, 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 uh, low rider <laughs> is no rider. Oh man! So he was he. Uh, that was gifted to him. It was gifted to him. Man, if you're from Buffalo and you're riding in that thing, you are feeling <laughs> yeah. really good about yeah. yourself. You got to give him a lot of credit for expanding the railroads, though. Well, I wish that you would tell me more <laughs> about it, Blaine. <laughs> That's just me changing the subject. That's just you getting um, it back on the he rails? Did, he did, though, uh, keep Hawaii free without yeah. annexation. That's right. And because of Commodore Perry, mm-hmm. who was, I believe, the one that, like, Started all the negotiations with Japan. Yeah, Matthew um, Perry. He yeah, Trump he friends. opened the first real uh, you know pathway. Like, but it was yep. because of him keeping Hawaii free. Man, we are really trying desperately to try to make him be like at all relevant and interesting. It's hard. I'm telling you, this journey, like, it's it's gonna be hard on some of these presidents. Some, yes, it's gonna be tough. Like, but we're doing our best. I will say this: he he didn't do anything. That was awful. Yeah, like there wasn't like, anything so, scandalous about Millard Fillmore. That's the thing that's tough. Is it, it, it's not like how I got mad at Tyler for for being a traitor, or or Aaron Burr, who I understand wasn't a president. Yeah. Um. He he didn't give you something to have a position to like or dislike. Yeah. Now we're gonna go to break, and when we come back, we'll mm-hmm. talk about what he did post-presidency yes. which i would say is fantastic yeah absolutely and um if you're from upstate new york specifically buffalo your town and your community is forever indebted to him yes absolutely so let's take a quick break let's uh, refresh our buffalo trace bourbon from kentucky honoring a man from new york <laughs> buffalo trace yeah and let you hear from another one of our fantastic sponsors you're listening to episode 13 of the presequential podcast we'll be right back Facing the transition out of the military is rarely easy. It doesn't help that the staggering number of options you're faced with can be overwhelming. But there's a light at the end of that tunnel for all veterans. And that light shines brightest here in Indiana. Lucrative careers in fast-growing industries are plentiful. Housing costs are amongst the lowest in the nation. And you can live in the country while being less than an hour from a world-class city. At InVets, we're showing veterans how to translate the valuable skills they've learned to the civilian world while connecting them with careers they can be proud of so they can lead fulfilling, purposeful lives. Go to InVets, that's I-N-V-E-T-S dot org, create a profile to learn more about Indiana communities, browse the current open job openings in these communities, and receive your free shirt. That's InVets, I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Hey, welcome back. Thanks so much for listening to the Presequential Podcast. We are so happy that you're here. If you are loving this show, please share it with a fellow history fan. Review for sure. Yes, absolutely. So Millard Fillmore, number 13, he leaves his presidency after almost three years in office, barely two and a half years. He did some stuff in Cuba you wanted to talk about, Blaine. Yeah, so he was actually like basically gifted the opportunity to annex Cuba or make it a state. Mm -hmm. And he decided that 
he a wanted to avoid conflict with Spain, but b he wasn't convinced the people of Cuba wanted to be annexed hmm. or to be a state. He basically like took the lay of the land and was like they're not super comfortable being governed by Spain, so why would they want to be governed by a different group of people? Yeah. Which I think is admirable. It is. Like for him to look at it and like I said, he was gifted it and to be able to say, I don't, I don't think that that's what the people want. And as a government, we have to do what the people want. So let's not go after it. Honoring the people, not even of our own country. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Uh, there was also a Hungarian nationalist, a nobleman, lawyer, politician, statesman, and governor president of the kingdom of Hungary uh, in the late 1840s. Was that his entire title? <laughs> yeah. Lajos Kossuth de Udvard et Kossuth Falva was his full name, otherwise known as Lajos or Lajos, maybe uh, Kossuth. I'm going to go with de Udvard. De um, Udvard. De Udvard. Talk to me about this Hungarian national and his role in Millard Fillmore's presidency. So he requested a presence with Fillmore because there was a revolution going on in yeah. Hungary. 1848 and, he, and 1849. He wanted some help. However, the night before he was going to meet with Fillmore, him and his posse essentially just destroyed this hotel room like led zeppelin style like keith moon like <laughs> through the tv into the pool was it the willard it was i don't know which hotel it was like they just and it the worst destroyed Western. his chances at meeting Fillmore as well <laughs> like he had it all set up he was going to get the united states help yeah. with the revolution in hungary and instead, they got super wasted, destroyed their hotel room, and and Fillmore was like, eh, we're, you stay over there. Yeah. Like, also, here's the bill. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Webster ended up writing a book about this guy's life. I don't know what it was called, but he apparently was a, also a very good orator. So I think Daniel Webster enjoyed that part of his personality. Well, wrote of a course. Book. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. <laughs> so Fillmore, as he leaves the presidency of the United States, he returns to private life without an independent wealth or the possession of landed estate. He's actually the first president to do so. With no pension to anticipate, he needed a job, and he felt that it should, in a way, be something that would uphold the dignity of his former office. His friend Judge Hall assured him that it would be proper for him to practice law in the higher courts of New York, and Fillmore so intended. The Fillmores, he and Abigail, had planned a tour of the South after they left the White House, but Abigail caught a cold at President Franklin Pierce's inauguration. She developed pneumonia and sadly died in D.C. on March 30, 1853, a mere three weeks after her time as First Lady ended. Millard was plunged into grief again on July 26, 1854, about a year later, when his only daughter Mary died of so within a year and a half of him leaving office, he loses his wife and his only daughter. And now he faces a horrible loneliness in his retirement, and he sets out on a long tour of the southern and western states throughout the rest of 1854. Russ, you found something about the book uh, that Daniel Webster wrote about the Hungarian uh, Kossuth? Yeah, it's titled The Sketch of the Life of Louis Kossuth, Governor of Hungary, Together with the Declaration of Hungarian Independence. 
That yeah, that checks out. Just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Good night. Sounds like a Borat movie. Sold yeah. units of copies. <laughs> Gosh, Daniel Webster. All right, so for the next two years in 1855 and 56, Fillard tours Europe extensively. Fillard? And what did I say, Fillard? You said Fillard. I said Are Fillard? we doing a friends thing here? <laughs> like Fillard. I'm so sorry. I meant Fillard. Jennifer. He goes to Europe, and when in Rome... He had an audience with Pope Pius IX. He carefully weighed the political pros and cons of meeting with the Pope and nearly withdrew yeah. from the meeting when he was told that he would have to kneel and kiss the Pope's hand. That's because people in America at the time hated Catholics. Yeah. Like, so I would imagine there was a lot... Like, for a man who was very um, careful with his words... Mm-hmm. He never wanted to offend anyone to go meet a pope yeah. in a time in in his party yeah. was so anti-Catholic. That's, that's, that's wild. That's a big deal. Yeah. Well, the pope remained seated throughout the meeting and avoided a faux pas. Uh, in 1856, Fillmore sought re-election and was nominated to the Know Nothing Party ticket. Uh, the Know Nothings Super were... Super anti-Catholic. Oh, my gosh. They Anti-Catholic. Were, they were like, we know nothing except for we hate Catholics. Well, that was the thing. They were, <laughs> they were known as Know Nothings because... It was such a secretive organization yeah. that if you were asked Which is if wild. you belonged to it, you would say nothing. Knowing he came from the anti-Masons yeah. to end up in the know-nothings, oh, which that's... is basically just like a Mason yeah. secret society. That's an interesting point. Yeah, that's pretty full circle for him. Yeah. Uh, they're anti-Catholic, anti-immigrant, and yeah. he only won the electoral votes from the state of Maryland. And he had the audacity uh-huh. to call himself a nativist. They were against Native Americans <laughs> as well as Catholics. Come on, Millard. And to call yourself a nativist but not be a fan, uh, well, well, let's to be actively hating yeah. the native people of your country is a pretty wild step. Yeah, it's a pretty big slap in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he doesn't do well. He only <laughs> wins one state, Maryland's electoral votes, 22% of the popular vote, and he came in third behind Democrat James Buchanan of Pennsylvania and Republican John C. Fremont. After 1856, he did not return to the national stage. Instead, he spent the rest of his life in public affairs in Buffalo, New York, as the chairman of Buffalo Committee of Public Defense and the president of the Buffalo Historical Society. And this is really where he kind of saves himself. Yeah. Because, like, he starts University of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. He, uh, the the MAC. A mid-Atlantic conference? Yeah. 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 I thought you were talking Buffalo. about the Musical Arts Center in Bloomington down at Indiana oh, University. Oh, no. Go Hoosiers. Uh, the University of Buffalo. Yeah. MAC powerhouse in yeah. football. They've, I've sung there many some, times. Have you? Yeah. When I was in Straight No Chaser, the acapella man band. That we have talked yep. about in well, episodes past. Well, you can past. thank Millard Fillmore can. for you doing that. We had a... Oh, I can't believe him. <laughs> they're I'm, a powerhouse in football. Uh, every once in a while, they're relatively good at basketball. They also had a very good... The Buffalo Bulls. Group. They had the... The Buffalo Chips was the name of their acapella group. A pretty Ugh. badly uh, what, named acapella what group. What is it with your acapella <laughs> groups Man, and their names? We could have a I know, I know that this. you have, yeah. like, some real reservations about some of the acapella names. Straight No Chaser is a really cool That's acapella good. name. That's a yeah. good one. But the yeah. Buffalo Chips. Yeah, it's just 
It's just bad. <laughs> the tongue-in-cheekness of it, it just makes Good it... They, they sound like great. We I want, get it. You don't have instruments. I <laughs> want to say, if you're a member of the Buffalo Chips circa 2011, and you're listening to this, wow, first of all, <laughs> to... Your name's garbage, but you sounded great. <laughs> you sounded great. Yeah. Your craft is good. You're, yeah. yeah. Whoever named your group, not not a big fan yeah. of. Um, yeah, so when he's there in Buffalo, yeah. he builds, well, he doesn't, but he's active in the building of the city's first high school. Yep. Uh, Library. General Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, he served president as the General Hospital, a fine soap opera. Um, and he's he also- actually like really big on uh, fire hazards. And fire awareness. I didn't realize that. Is Buffalo yeah. a big hub for? Well, fire no. Defense? He just he was he devoted a lot of his time to the fire department hmm. and establishing a fire insurance company, oh. which was later named the Fillmore Company. Oh, that's cool. He also uh, aided Buffalo in becoming the third American city ever to have a permanent art gallery with the hmm. Buffalo Fine Arts Academy. So he's covering arts, healthcare. Fire, so yep. first defenders or first uh, responders, uh, education, <laughs> high school, uh, history, and uh, public defense. I mean, this guy is everywhere in Buffalo. Yeah, like if you are like a huge Buffalo stan and you just love the city of Buffalo, yeah. you owe a lot to Miller Fillmore. You probably, if you are a buff, if you're that deep into Buffalo, you and you made it past Madison's episode where I. Trashed your city <laughs> when I'm Buffalo sorry. was burned. You're still, <laughs> and you were st- like, "Ah, oh, was it a loss?" <laughs> yeah, if you're still listening. Thank you. Yeah, uh, but now you've made it to your like <laughs> sacred son. Oh, he's my guy. Yeah, he's my guy. Is there a hockey team in Buffalo? Uh, yeah, the Sabers. The Sabers. Yeah. Okay. Sabre. Yeah. Oh, that's how it's spelled. Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Sabers. Any any other professional sports up there? I don't think so. And is the, okay. So you spent some time in upstate New York while we're talking about Buffalo. Okay. Uh, first of all, why are you up there? The uh, the government told me I had to live there. You were stationed up there mm-hmm. in in Buffalo proper, or I was about three hours away from Buffalo in Watertown. Watertown. It's an hour or two hours east and an hour north. North of Buffalo. So like if you just follow like the New York state line, yeah, you just kind of like. Run it all the way over and up. Is that Lake Huron that you're off of? Lake uh, Erie? No. One of Erie the is Buffalo, so Superior, maybe? I don't know. I feel I like, like I should know that. like up there yeah. by the UP of Michigan. You're probably Regardless, right. Yeah. You're up in Battle of 1812 territory. Yeah. Is the story about the Buffalo Wing getting created in a snowstorm all they had oh, was I don't know. carrots, celery, and chicken wings left over and it makes they made sense it. okay yeah I have there's no probably idea. a there has to be russ could you please look up how and when was the buffalo wing created please thank you very much on february 10th 1858 millard fillmore married wealthy widow caroline carmichael mcintosh from albany so he was married twice it's 1864 now and uh he's been married for approximately six years to his second wife and uh in this presidential election fillmore supported the democratic candidate and union general george mcclellan Mm. for the presidency since he believed that the democratic party's plan for immediate cessation of fighting and allowing the seceded southern states to return with slavery intact to be the best possibility for restoring the Union. Blaine, you are not a fan of General McClellan. No. 
Tell us why. He was not good at his job. He had cold feet all the time, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He was never advancing. He was not very good at understanding when you win a battle, you continue to the enemy to destroy them. He was like, well, we got this one. I guess we'll sit here. Kick our feet up for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And Lincoln, I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit to episode 16, but Lincoln originally was a fan of McClellan, but as McClellan dragged his feet, was not a big fan, soon Mm -hmm. after replaced him. Yeah. Speaking of President Lincoln, after his assassination in April of 1865, black ink was thrown on Fillmore's house because it was not draped in mourning like others. Oh, yeah. Fillmore was apparently out of town at the time and put uh, drapes of mourning in the windows once he returned. Yeah. So they were like... You don't like the president? We're going to yeah. throw ink on your house. And he's like, bro, I was he's out of like, town. He's like, I'm a wig. Come on. I don't know. I was just out of town. Fillmore stayed in good health almost to the end of his life, but he suffered a stroke in February of 1874 and died on March 8th, 1874, at the age of 74 after suffering a second stroke. His last words as he accepted a spoonful of soup from the doctor at his bedside were... Do you just want to guess at what his last words were? Um, Think milk toast, bland, boring Millard Fillmore. What are your last words going to be? I guess this is it. <laughs> the rest, what do you think? There's a fly in my soup? <laughs> nope. Quote, The nourishment is palatable. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. End quote. <laughs> the nourishment is palatable. Oh my gosh. Gosh, what a way to go out. Um, Fillmore, his first wife, Abigail, and his second wife, Caroline, who died eight years later in 1881, are all buried in Forest Lawn Cemetery in Buffalo, New York. Talk it- about a love triangle. <laughs> hey <Hey-o! laughs> uh, A large pink obelisk marks the final resting place of American President 13th, uh, Millard Fillmore. Hmm. Now, 6th President John Quincy Adams said of Millard Fillmore, quote, whether to the nation or to the state, no service can or ever will be rendered by a more able or a more faithful public servant, end Hmm. quote. So JQA was a Fillmore. I'll I'll give him like civil yeah, state right, <laughs> well played yeah yeah the or ever is kind of like mm, I don't know JQA yeah. <laughs> let's dive into Millard Fillmore's legacy now every episode of the Bread Coach podcast we talk about the life the legacy and little known facts of every American president. So Fillmore's very name often connotes mediocrity, let's just say it. Mm-hmm. He's most likely only really remembered in academic circles and especially like you said in Buffalo for his many contributions to the city. And I feel like he's a like popular jeopardy question. Yeah, I would say that. Like he's a yeah. trivia question yeah. answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trivia, yeah. His acceptance of the compromise of 1850 averted the Civil War for another 11 years. Created um, that sectional healing. <laughs> Every time you say it, I forget that I've said it, and then you bring it up. Uh, as president, he sided with pro-slavery elements 
in ordering enforcement of the fugitive slave law. He all but guaranteed that he would be the last Whig president. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first modern two-party system of Whigs and Democrats had succeeded only in dividing the nation in two by the 1850s. And seven years later, the election of the first Republican president, Abraham Lincoln, would guarantee civil war. We talked a little bit about the University of Buffalo. Uh, They're on site on campus. The Millard Fillmore Academic Center and the Millard Fillmore College bear his name. There's also a comic strip. uh, Is that the School of Accounting? Probably. Yeah. Gosh, the future comptrollers of of Northern Of America. Of America. F.C. O.A. F.C.O. The FACOA. The FACOA. Fakoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's also a comic strip that uh, has its name to owe to Millard Fillmore. Uh, in the 90s, there was a comic strip about an anthropomorphic green plumage duck uh, who works as a political reporter um, mm. in D.C. called Mallard Fillmore. And we do have a, a comic strip expert here, Russ. You're a big... Uh, Kathy fan, which we all know. You um, love Kathy, what, Russ. What What are your thoughts on the Mallard Fillmore comic strip? Uh, I mean, I think it overshadows Kathy for sure. Mm. Yeah. Ack. 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 <laughs> yeah. Chocolate work. Ah. Cold yeah. coffee. Yeah. Ah. Thank you, Russ, as always, <laughs> sure. for that enlightenment. And that was our uh, comic strip bit. According to C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey, Millard Fillmore currently sits in the number 37 position, just below Herbert Hoover and Mm -hmm. right above William Henry Harrison. Blaine, I'm going to challenge you here. Okay. Complete this sentence. Millard Fillmore is the reason the United States of America... Has a punchline? Hmm. I, I mean, it's... Anytime you bring him up, it's 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 purely... A punchline, an anecdote, yeah. a trivia question. There's there's no other thing yeah. that he did. Yeah. I like, mean, unless you're from Russ, Buffalo. Unless and, you're from and Buffalo. And you're, you know, th- you can see the fruits of his labor. Let's dive in. One of my favorite parts yes. of this uh, podcast. The little known facts. One of the heated controversies during Fillmore's term concerned the guano reserves Mm. off the coast of Peru. Mm -hmm. This seafowl excrement, which could be converted into valuable fertilizer. As made popular by Ace Ventura Ventura 2. 2, yeah. Yeah. Guano. Guano. It was a bone of contention between American businessmen and the Peruvian government. Fillmore, however, intervened in the dispute and negotiated a special treaty. Had you guys heard the story that Millard Fillmore put in the first White House bathtub. Had you heard that? No. Is it the one Taft got stuck in? Okay, I can't wait to get to episode 22, 4, 5? About that. Um, <laughs> apparently there was this... Cool. There, 27, yeah. There was this story that was put out into the public sphere in the early 1900s by a guy named H.L. Mencken. And he decided just to Put it in as a work of fiction uh, into this story that Millard Fillmore had installed the first bathtub in the White House. And he said, admittedly, it was just a bit of fun. But others suspect that he wanted to prove the point that readers will believe anything that is printed. And true. so, And they did. Very true. He admitted the hoax in print in 1926. But since then, books, magazines, newspapers, and classroom teachers have passed on the quote-unquote fact 
about Millard Fillmore putting in the first bathtub in the White House. He hmm. did not, though. He was a voracious reader. Millard Fillmore was known to keep a dictionary on him often in order to improve his vocabulary. Daniel Webster. There you, <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. why he brought him in yeah. as Secretary of State. So ardent a bibliophile was Millard Fillmore that he raced across the city of D.C. and risked his life to personally fight a fire that had overtaken the Library of Congress in 1851. I told you he's a big fireman supporter. Wow. Maybe that's how he got the idea yeah. in Buffalo to later do this. He's like, listen, I've got some experience yeah. putting out I've fires. I've fought a fire. Ah, fire. Yeah. What am I supposed to do with a gun rack? <laughs> You catch that? Wayne's yeah, World. Yeah, Wayne's World. Yeah, I got it. I don't even own a gun, let alone enough guns that would necessitate an entire rack. Fillmore, with his wife Abigail, established the first White House library. It's hmm. kind of cool. Yeah. It's surprising there wasn't one before. You would think with John Adams yeah. and Jefferson being mm-hmm. as into books as they were. Yeah. Queen Victoria once declared that Millard Fillmore was Looked the most... like Alan Baldwin. <laughs> Alan Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Alec Alda. Okay. Alan Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> she once declared that he was the most handsome man I've ever seen. Alec Look Baldwin. at a picture of Millard Fillmore and tell me that that dude is kind of beat. At least on the cover of this 1959 publisher. Tiger Beat. Tiger Beat. Yeah. Okay, there is an Indiana connection to Millard Fillmore. Now, if you're listening, not in the state of Indiana, or maybe this is the first time listening to the podcast, (laughs) welcome. Why did you pick number 13 to jump in? Uh, We're here in Indianapolis. We are, for the most part, let's say, proud, not necessarily Hoosier-born Hoosiers, but we're proud Hoosiers. Maybe they're just big Woodrow Wilson fans, and they have to stick with numerology of 13. Oh, you're ahead. So you're on book like 87 now. But yeah, Woodrow Wilson was a big numerologist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 13 was his number. Triskaidekaphobia. Though it resembles a ghost town today, Little Story, Indiana. Have you guys ever been to Story? Yeah. Yeah, just outside of Brown County there. Was once a home to a vibrant population. In 1851, a doctor named George P. Story founded the town when he received 173 acres of land from U.S. President Millard Fillmore. Hmm. And you can buy the entire 17.4 acres of land in Story, Indiana for a cool, guess how much it is. You could buy this. Uh, $325,000. Okay. Bob. $1. Oh. Yeah. I feel like we have enough sponsors to do that, right? Speaking of sponsors, if you were listening to this and you want to support the podcast as a sponsor, send us an email at presequential at gmail.com. For exactly $3.8 million. Exactly. We're trying to buy Story Indiana. Yeah. You may not know them by name, but you've probably spotted the wares of shoe company Johnston & Murphy at some point in your life. I've rocked those shoes. Super comfortable. That's because the company, founded in 1850, has been outfitting American presidents with their footwear since the days of Millard Fillmore. What? Yes. Every POTUS since then has worn a pair of the company's shoes tailored to the fashion senses of each leader. This is Doc Murphy? No, that's Doc Martin. Oh, okay. This is Johnston and Murphy. They're very comfortable shoes. Okay. They're very yeah, comfortable. I'll take your word for I it. I think they have like a lambskin insole. Yeah. All right. Yeah, sorry to all the lambs out there listening. Uh, well, they've got to get rid of their sheath. Otherwise, it's unhealthy for them. 
What? I, I mean, a sheath? Whatever it's called. The wool? Yeah. What are you talking about? You, you got to shear them. Oh, you got to shear the yeah. sheep. If you don't do it, I, they, it's unhealthy. When you said sheath, I thought of several other things. Swords. Swords. Uh, the myelin sheath. Uh, if you've heard of that and the things that connect our My, brains. I only know Myelin from basketball. <laughs> Myelin. Yeah. Myelin, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Hoosiers. Hoosiers. How many passes? Okay, so let's wrap this up. So along with Andrew Johnson, Abraham Lincoln, maybe Andrew Jackson, and Bill Clinton, Millard Fillmore had one of the most poor upbringings of all American presidents. Mm-hmm. This dude was dirt poor. Um, you mentioned something about Hawaii with Millard Fillmore. Do you yep. want to talk a little bit about that? I already did. Okay, so he basically defended the Hawaiian Islands from yeah. being taken uh, to France. Yeah, um, it led to our relationship with Japan. Yes, he was a Unitarian and was one of the founding members of the Buffalo Unitarian Church when it was mm-hmm. established in 1831. Only ate chicken. <laughs> Blaine, unlike the Episcopalians that only ate fish. It's a pescatarian, but my bad. I know what you're going with. <sighs> He, I thought this was the funniest. Uh, oh, here we go. The funniest fun fact, a little known fact about Millard Fillmore. He could not read Latin. And when he was offered an honorary degree by Oxford University in England, the degree was written in Latin. And he refused it because he felt a person who could not read the language should not accept the degree. That's a dead language. Very dead. Yeah. Carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. All right. Seize the days. Franklin Pierce. Uh, Yeah, so our next episode on 14th President Franklin Pierce is going to be released on Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. Hey, if you loved this episode, please subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Share it with a fellow history buff and leave a review. Those help a lot. Also, you can get episodes early, ad-free, and you can get some bonus episodes of the podcast when you join our Patreon community. Go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash presequential. In the meantime, you can follow us on all the social platforms at Presequential. That's P-R-E-S-I-Q-U-E-N-T-I-A-L. Let us know what you thought of this episode, especially if you thought it sucked. Uh, (laughs) Be sure to check out our generous sponsors as well. Those help too. (laughs) Yeah, they do help. We hope you enjoyed episode 13, the Baldwin of the Presequential Podcast. We'll see you in two weeks. 